Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we are talking today about Season 2, Episode 8, titled The Prince of Winterfell, which is pretty, pretty interesting Prince title. of pig shit, if you ask me. Yeah. Maybe there are two Princes of Winterfell. I don't know. Bran, we find out, is still alive, so I think that's what they're alluding to with the title. Um, but Theon, temporarily, is the Prince of Winterfell. Yeah. Well, well I mean... Yeah, whatever. It's all thematic. Because that's what I was like, well, actually... Yeah, you got me. <laughs> and that, it, it, Asha is the one that called Dion the Prince of Winterfell, just to shine him on at the beginning of the episode. Uh-huh. Uh, what'd you think of this episode? This was the Calm Before the Storm episode. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you can hear the drum beat throughout the episode of, like, it's, you know, Stannis is two days away, Stannis is a day away. Yeah. There's going to be heads on pikes. Like he's going to like like Tywin, who is no fool, uh, pines that uh, King's Landing will fall within an hour of Stannis arriving. Mm-hmm. Um, that is bad news for for Tyrion. Yeah, anytime I see Tyrion getting visibly nervous about something, uh-huh. I do as well um, because he's you know he knows the score and and things are not looking good in his mind. Right. Um, on the other hand, it's not as exciting as the actual storm. So, um, sure. yeah. but you know, with with Game of Thrones, the penultimate and finale episodes are usually uh, whiz bang affairs. So, uh, I'm not too worried about having a kind of final peace shifting um, uh, and uh, the peace shifting on the board kind of episode before we get into the the close of the season. Yeah, it's really setting expectations, um, setting the stakes here, and I think it does a fine job of that. Um, and there are some good moments along the way. There are a couple with Arya, a couple with uh, Tyrion, and I think all of those work to make the episode more entertaining than... Uh, uh, give it a lighter feel than maybe it should have, <laughs> perhaps, um, yeah. with the impending, like you said, the, the marching drumbeat here. But uh, I certainly enjoyed the the levity from it. Right, right. Hey, you got some housekeeping before we talk about the episode. Boy, we had... We had a big weekend this last weekend, Jim. Huge. We did nine episodes of season two of Stranger Things, or Stranger Things 2, as Netflix is calling it. Yeah. Which, if you like the first Stranger Things, I thought this was a real treat. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think this is, other than The Leftovers, the best thing that I've seen all year. Top three, for sure. What's what's your what's I mean, yeah, top three for sure, but I'm like top two. What's what's uh, I know leftovers has a spot. <laughs> I know I, I know leftovers has a spot. I know this the Stranger Things has a spot. I'm leaving room for something else. I don't know what it is. But. Okay. Bold 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 move. But yeah, Stranger Things is awesome. We've got complete yeah. coverage of the whole series we did in October. Uh, we watched all of the first season, we watched all the second season, and we have yet a season two wrap up. If you want to get on that, there's still time to get your binge on. But we've got every episode, so no matter where you're at in your binge, you got full coverage with us. Uh, and we we really, really like that series. I think you guys would, too. Uh, we're also starting up The Walking Dead. Not not going as great as Stranger Things at this point. Uh, you could say that. We're, we're doing season three of Mr. Robot, which has been, so far, a return to form. I'm really yeah. digging that season. Uh, and then we also want to talk about Rocket City NerdCon. If you go to rocketcitynerdcon.org, uh, you can find out all the details, but it's this weekend. Tickets are still available. Uh, Jim and I will be doing panels on Saturday and Sunday, and when we're not doing panels, we'll have a booth set up that you can just come up and meet and greet us. Uh, tell us about your personal theory 
about stuff I can't really talk about without spoiling. Damn it. <laughs> this is a tough this is a tough one. I was about to go on and just say this and that. I was like, oh, this is a, a, supposedly a spoiler free podcast. About so Egret's superpowers. About Egret's superpowers. Yeah, her abilities of flight and laser vision. And whether the curtains match the drapes. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um so we got uh we got we got that coming up. Hope you guys come out to see us. It's gonna be a good time. We're also thinking about having um some sort of meetup on Saturday night. We just need to find a location and nail down a time. Uh, best way to keep abreast of that is follow us on social media. Uh, but, yeah, check it out, rocketcitynerdcon.org. It's this weekend in Huntsville, Alabama. That's important, too. So if you're in the southeast, it's not a bad drive. Come out and see us, uh, and we'll be there. Let's get on with the episode. Do Are we ready to talk about the episode itself? I am. Get into I the am. I have, okay. yeah. Uh, we start off with at Winterfell, and Theon is killing all the ravens as Yara shows up. She needles him about being weak and stupid for killing the valuable Stark boys and putting himself in an undefendable position. Uh, and she says she's taking him home, but Theon's staying, and she just implores him not to die so far from the sea. Yeah, these Greyjoys not known for their prowess on land. They they are a seafaring military. Yeah, and the, the like Theon is just so lost that he doesn't even know that Rob already knows that he's taken his castle. Yeah. Um and I think that like it's amazing how much smarter Asha is at that uh uh correctly diagnosing this. Like this you this isn't a great victory. Mm-hmm. You've done nothing but assure your death. Like <laughs> right. You know, this this wasn't ever part of the plan to try to hold something so far away from the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. It could have been a good plan. Like, that's interesting that it, you know, helps out Tywin indirectly. Um, and, and that's not entering into Theon's equation at all. Um, but it certainly could have been, like, if he had talked with, with Tywin a little bit. But that's not what he's out for yeah and like there's a little bit of like asha saying that like you know our father's not the smartest tool and the sharpest tool in the tool shed either because Mm -hmm. you know with the the relative position that iron islands holds at this point in history they would have been much better off to fall in with rob stark or tywin either one yeah but then just trying to like be the jackal that's picking at the bones of the lion and wolves fighting is just mm-hmm. not a long-term strategy because as soon as someone wins they're going to come just take you know the, the either the wolf or the lion's going to win and they're going to go pound the jackals mm-hmm. instead of you know being rewarded and i that's the thing, like, uh, I got a, a little taken a task on the forums this week about my hatred for the Greyjoys, but I just, I don't see what there's much to cheer. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, even the heroes of the Ironborn, like, like uh, it's one thing is, like, Asha, um, or is it Yara? She, they, uh, Yara, I keep uh, calling her Yara Asha, that's a show. book name. Yeah. Uh, the, the, like, Yara's the only one that's got half a brain. She's actually, seems like she's pretty intelligent, mm-hmm. but... I never hear like, oh yeah, Yar, she's amazing. In like the great, it's always oh this guy or oh this guy. Or, I'm like, I just, I just don't get it. They seem like I don't know why you would defend the Greyjoys because their whole strategy, I think, is stupid. The land is where the action right. happens, and if you only want to hold the sea, that's fine. But the sea has nothing, nothing to offer you other than fish yeah like you know? if you want to hold like some Salt kind water of and fish if you want to extort some coastal towns and villages and uh-huh. you know there's 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 certainly some some rich uh towns and ports along the coastlines of of westeros but if you want to actually have any kind of like peace security and and, and permanent stable power base yeah. 
you're going to have to be a player on the land and mm-hmm. and you know the 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 great kings of old old pike knew that like you know Harrenhal was a was a iron islanders uh castle yeah uh until aegon came and 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 flipped the 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 game board over so like i i don't know it just seems like oh this just this whole generation of greyjoy seems like <laughs> fucking idiots yeah no i'm with you except for yara i think she does have some intelligence but like you said not really talking about the land stuff right then it's another like yet another line an, an, another story that george is telling of like oh there's this brilliant person and woo, if she had a penis she'd be taken seriously mm-hmm. in the story well i mean she makes a lot of good points here yeah. right the, and, if, and yeah and like i said her men take her seriously like yeah. I, I love the the hush that falls over the room when like theon threatens yara and yeah, she's like i'm sorry weird. what you know the the thing so i like that scene and i think it's great and yara is awesome um the one thing that i don't like about it and and theon's a coward and a wimp and and he's stupid i I wish he would say something like when she tries to be all brother sister here Mm -hmm. like you can't be my fucking sister my loving caring sister behind the backs of everyone and then insult me outright in front of everyone it doesn't work like that yeah but i think you don't get that privilege sorry i think that theon that's another reason he's so stupid is because he's he doesn't get the fact that this is a this is her trying to let down her guard and let like she can't do this in front of her men right i mean and and and, you know like yeah maybe he should say that but like that just demonstrates that he doesn't know the iron island culture like right look i really love you and care for you as my brother and i don't want to see you die here and you're gonna die here if you don't Mm -hmm. stop this stupid shit um so i yeah that's that's the thing like that's the really great part about the scene is where she talks about their history of you know theon like their history of theon of being a complete shit but she can't stop from from loving him, and then you know him being ripped away from the family at a young age. Like that stuff is all good, but yeah. it doesn't seem to have much of an impact on Theon because of his massive inferior, inferiority complex. Sure, um, understandably so as well. All right, we go to John up in the north, who's taken to the Lord of Bones, who has also captured Corrin. Uh, the Lord of Bones wants to gut him until Egret says, "Hey, that's John." Uh, Jon Snow, Ned Stark's son, and Mance Raider would probably want him. Uh, and John finds out that Corrin got caught because of him, basically. They they went out looking for him, and before they could find John, Lord of Bones found them. Yep, and uh, all the other men died because of John. and yeah. when the half-hen says, so we'll see to that it wasn't for nothing, uh, that's going to put a lot of weight on John's shoulders. To what end? Yeah, it sure is. Um, we'll maybe talk a little bit more about what goes on later when you're watching this for the first time you start to get the impression that maybe egret is a lot more important than you would have first imagined Hmm. yeah because she's basically able to or or another way to look at it is this is a glimpse into a culture that's completely different from anything else we've seen in westeros where it truly is a democratic institution like Mm -hmm. just a, a foot soldier can go to the field commander and say look you can't do this and i'm gonna make trouble for you if you if if you do and then they're taken seriously <laughs> or narratively they just wanted it to happen <laughs> who knows that too but like there yeah. is uh you know there is there is something they're trying to tell us about egret or the the uh the wildling culture okay. as well uh then we move on to rob and talisa talking about his arranged marriage and how uh, being a lord is like having thousands of children, and Talisa asked why he How patronizing. Just, <laughs> why he doesn't just go home if that's what he wants, and he says they'll never be safe until they defeat the Lannisters. 
Uh, then a writer comes in and tells Rob the Kingslayer has escaped and that his mom set him free. Uh, Rob is super pissed at this, and he assigns a guard to his mom and sends writers after Jamie. Yeah. Uh, so there is some interesting stuff in here. Like Rob obviously made this marriage deal under duress mm-hmm. um, back when he thought he could save his father. So it, there's it, you're a little more sympathetic, I think, to Rob when he eventually, you know, him and Talisa end up banging uh, because you know that the situation has changed so drastically at this point. Yeah, that it's hard to carry through with a promise that was made when you needed something that you can no longer attain for for a purpose you can no longer um, see through. Right. Which is unfortunate for Rob, but, you know, he should maybe still not be doing what he's doing. No, it's it's tough because, like, if your word is only good for, you know, in the sunshine, then it impacts mm-hmm. your ability to make deals in the future. Yeah. I think that's what, like, some amateur Machiavellians don't understand. Um, is like you know you've got this 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 faith and credit you have with people, and if you just piss that away, then mm-hmm. next time you're in a position of weakness and not a position of strength, why wouldn't people just completely take advantage of you and and fuck you over because there's no your word means nothing. But I mean, mostly I forgive I forgive Rob on the basis that he's a kid. Sure, like he is yeah. he is a kid. He's, and he's full being of led around by the nose um, by his mom. Essentially, like she's the one who made that deal in the first place, right? Right. And he protested. He was like, "No, I'm not fucking doing this. Right. No way." Right. And she eventually like wore him down and made him do it. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think she wore him down. She's just like, "Well, do you want to cross this bridge and rescue your father or not?" Yeah, that's what I mean. Because I don't know. That's just like him. I don't know. It seems like you want to put a lot of blame on Cat. I think Cat got the best deal she could for him, but that's that was the deal. It was, I, don't think, I don't think Rob could have negotiated a better one. Yeah, I'm hard on Kat because of a lot of because of what she does in this episode. Another thing is like, you, this might be the only time I'll take the Frey position, mm-hmm. but what he's asking the Freys to do is fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. To back, it, this, this is not this is not Walter Frey's liege lord. This is just some fucker from North who has declared himself king and is coming to to lay siege to the rightful king and topple him. Mm-hmm. So if this scheme doesn't work, guess whose head's going to be on a pike with him? Yeah. So it's 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 fair and good and right for him to quote unquote extort a fairly high price from him. Sure. I, like, I like, don't disagree with like, that. Like, okay, yeah, I'll help you get your, what you want, but then I want to make sure that my, me and mine have a seat at that table, and, and being, you know, my daughter, your queen, is, like, the, the way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like I said, I can't judge uh, Rob too harshly. And also, it's very hard to defend Cat. Yeah, no, it's impossible. Very hard Th- to defend Cat. This move Kat. here in this episode is completely emotional and, and lacks any forethought. Like, her taking Tyrion prisoner in the first season really tightened the screws to Ned, mm-hmm. and her letting the Kingslayer go. Now, you could argue about, like, would Jamie have survived that night um, with the state of the camp? And I, sure, I that's like what she's was, worried about. It yeah. was a little unfair for Rob to come in and be like, you so discorded in my camp, and you did all that. But, like, it wasn't her place, and, you know, yeah, you can make an argument, but the certainty of what's happened was because a cat stepped in mm-hmm. and just freestyled without any authority, without... It's, yeah, she. You, I don't think you can really defend her actions. No. Other than from a mother's perspective. Right, it's but, purely emotional, but she's going to lose them this war if she continues down that road. Yeah, and how can... Like, I, I felt like that uh, Karstark had a devastating arguments. Like, you want to tell me about your two children in prison? 
Are your four children imprisoned and held hostage when two of mine have died yeah. for your people's war? Um, it's it's a it's a it's a tough situation tough situation, and unfortunately, Rob's is going to make it worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's not doing much to help because he's he you know he's his mother's child and and mm-hmm. uh, he's impetuous himself. Sure. Okay, let's go to um, the road where Brienne has been tasked with returning Jamie to King's Landing. She's annoyed by Jamie's constant talking and stuffs him into a boat so they can row down the river. Uh, man, how do you get Jamie back on your own? Like going going at solo. What happens when you fall asleep? What happens? Like I, I guess you just tie him up every yeah, night and hope he doesn't him. get free while Ch- you're sleeping. Yep, that's shit. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> that's essentially what you do. Um, and you hope that there's no bandits to befall. You hope that uh-huh. Rob's eighty men and their fastest horses don't catch up to you. You hope that a Lannister patrol doesn't catch up to you. It's yeah, this uh, is a tough task that she's been given. Yeah, that's the other thing that, in retrospect, makes cats. I mean, that's the thing. Oh God, I keep going back to cat because. Like like Rob says incredulously, what you think the Kingslayer is going to get back to King's Landing yeah. or Castle Rock, and then Tywin or Cersei is going to be so moved to be like, oh, man, no, thank you not. for getting. Like it's it's like I don't know. It's it's it'd be like if you set a thousand dollars on fire in front of me and said, well, I'm hoping that I'll get two back. What I mean, how? Where? <laughs> there's no connecting. Like you. You ha- ah, it's I'm I yeah I I was so pissed off freshly when I saw Cat doing this because there's no I mean again it goes back to the uncertainty of it maybe the camp riots and the Kingslayers killed in the me- the resulting melee maybe mm-hmm. but it's certain as soon as you let him go that you're never going to see him again and now the Lannisters have all of your children and the Greyjoys have all your children you have shit and they have no incentive to give them up no they would you just kick that out the door they would be just as stupid as cat if they did and guess what Tywin's not no he's Tyrion is not Cersei they would laugh at her they Mm -hmm. would they would Jamie would be they would be slapping the tables laughing so hard (laughs) at cat asking him to swear on his I mean it's just so stupid yeah but no, that's it, the thing is like it's it's you know that's the thing about the 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 writing of you know George Martin is that you know characters sometimes do phenomenally stupid things just like they do in real life. Yeah, and Hitler they, fucking invaded Russia in the winter. Great stupid idea. <laughs> and they do things that are certainly within character. You know, even though they're obviously objectively stupid things. You know, Kat yeah. very much loves her children. She would do anything to get them back. Uh, Rob's not in the same boat. So he yeah. real, he realizes how stupid this is, but she doesn't. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but that's how it's going to go. <laughs> yep. All right, then we go over to Tywin. Uh, Kevin Lannister's Oh, suggest- uh, one thing, yep. one, one, one minor point is it's heavily implied that those wagons that they kind of significantly look at as uh, Jamie and uh, Brienne are getting in the boat, those are uh, the wagons the Silent Sisters are using to transport Ned's body back huh. home to Winterfell. This is the good faith gesture by Tyrion. How do they... How do they hint at that? I think it's it might be a book thing. But, okay, <laughs> but right, uh, but but I, and I, and maybe also this was something I picked up on the DVDs. But there was just like mm. a little kind of a nod to the continuity. Yeah, like if you've read the books, right, this right, is, right. This is a cool Easter egg for you. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Kevin Lannister suggests to Tywin that they surrender the Iron Throne because Stannis is headed to King's Landing. He wants everybody to evacuate. Tywin uh, says no, and he ignores what the scouts say about Rob's movements because of his previous experience with the scouts. Uh, Tywin says they're going to march to Casterly Rock, and he assigns Arya to the mountain, uh, leaving the mountain behind, which causes her to go looking for Jacken. 
Hot Pie says he saw him go on patrol. Yeah, and this is like Tywin at his coldest because he knows he's got to know that giving Arya over to Gregor is a fucking death sentence. Yeah, like I don't know if she makes it a day, a week, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be a month before she pisses him off and he splits her in half. Does he think maybe from his experiences with her that she's, you know, he says too smart for her own good? Does she? He think that maybe she's smart enough? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we're supposed to understand that this is just Tywin washing his hands of this. Yeah. This uh, human connection he's formed. Hmm. That's my, what I always took it for, for. That he was now, this was useful and an interesting diversion, but he's now washing his hands of it. Yeah. In in that, kind of like I talked last week, that plausibly deniable kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Clegane, I can't believe you killed that girl. She was so bright and young and blah, 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 you know, but whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of like this scene with Hot Pie. He's over there with Gendry and... I guess they're just doing the things that they do. Gendry's working on a horseshoe. Right. Uh, Probably wishing Hot Pie would go away. Yeah. And we've all been there, right? You're trying to do work, and you'd rather just sit there with your own thoughts, and someone is just yammering in your ear. (laughs) And there's no socially polite way to be like, fuck off. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make this horseshoe. That's right. Like, this this is boring and mind-numbing, but your conversation about cherry pits is even worse. (laughs) I could be fantasizing about this girl I saw six months ago, but you you can't over your fucking mouth. Yeah. Uh, I like the moment when Arya grabs Hot Pie's ears. I thought that was pretty (laughs) funny. Right. I thought it was pretty fucking ballsy for Hot Pie to try to try to big time Arya, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen him. Where? Well, you know, yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, come on, Like, to what end? Like, what's he trying to get out of that exchange? I don't know. I don't know. And I Hmm. feel like that he's seen her be kind of fierce uh that it, yeah. it, it's borderline foolhardy to try i know maybe then this is his way of flirting with her maybe this is his, his like pulling cocktails yeah like if, if Arya had needle mm-hmm. i don't know if he i don't <laughs> know if he 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 lives the, the hot another pie yeah all right let's go to corin up north he starts shouting insults at john and he shoves him down a hill as part of some apparent plan to make john more trusted by the wildlings um because right before this, he says they'll never trust me, and then Corin basically says they might if you are if you are cool enough. <laughs> he shows him down the hill, right? And then and then uh, Egret's right away like, oh, yeah, got a chance to turn. She's like just taking it hook, line, and sinker. Does you think so, or is she realizing what's going on here? Nah, I think she sees. She's mm-hmm. I know. I, I think. Well, I'm I mean, give, why... I may be giving her too much credit then because I think she understands. That this is some kind of phony divide between them. Really? But I don't, I don't have any reason to say that other than I think Egret's smart, and this is a pretty, but but it's, this is it's pretty blatant. It's only blatant because we hear the conversation. You hear before, the conversation, yeah. and you know because I think this is an in- instance where like if you play in the people's bias, like yeah. you know the 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 free folk are they're they're they're. Their their worst image of the 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 Night's Watch is they're a bunch of kneelers that have no real loyalty or sense of family, and they don't have any can't see anything in the shades of gray. So here's mm-hmm. this guy, and she knows how much that John tried to stay true to his word and his commission. And there's this guy who all he can see is someone who didn't follow the orders he was given. And got his men killed, and in her mind, that would be yeah. This is exactly what she'd expect to see. Hmm. So I don't think I yeah. I think she sees it as like oh, this is an opening that I can use to 
the recruit John, which again, uh, it, 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 it's the perfect, perfect ruse. Sure. But I would, yeah, you know, works. I also would believe like if someone had some kind of like, you know, if you just say you got a gut feeling like, I, yeah, I mean, Egret's smart. That's the thing. I just think Egret's smart. And in as much as, you know, anybody's going to understand what's going on here, it'd be her. Uh, Laura Bones certainly doesn't seem like he cares. Right. Uh, so then we move on to Tyrion, uh, who's trying to figure out the defense of King's Landing while Bronn cleans his nails. Varys comes in and says, there has been a mark drop in thievery, and Bronn, uh, you know, gloats a little. He rounded up all the thieves in preparation for the siege, which is a smart move, um, as he describes it. And Tyrion's worried about the number of gates in the city, uh, essentially. He, he points out this mud gate and says it's really close to something that I, I don't remember what he called it. Um, something very important, though. Uh, it's 50 it's yards 50 from, yards the, from the, shore. the shore. From the shore. Okay, well, the, yeah. easy to land on there. Exactly. Yeah. And get in. Uh, do you have anything to say about this scene? I I think it's nice. I I love the moments between Tyrion and Bronn. Well, it's um, it's weird because like I'm in a position where, like, this is a good teaching moment for people that are watching the show because like raise your hand if you're an expert on medieval siege no and siegecraft not me. like Bronn sitting here saying like it, instructing Tyrion and Varys who might know like the practical like orders of battle but he's like look mm-hmm. inside the city the thing that really kills people is starvation because food gut jacks up and the thieves do this and and Bronn is already doing this like heavy-handed you know police state approach to 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 justice and yeah, uh, probably has the right of it, but like that, it's 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 funny because like you know I've been through this so many times and I've read Game of Thrones so many, that it's it's hard like so some of this stuff kind of goes over my head, but if you actually think about it, like this is a really great scene for to teach people what the stakes are. Sure, and yeah. and so the things that are going to happen are going to make sense, right? Because it's very easy, you know. One of the weaknesses of early Game of Thrones seasons is they didn't quite have the scale. Uh, they didn't quite have the budget to sell the scale and ambition they want. So how mm-hmm. do you sell a city of, of a million people suffering because they don't have enough money or yeah. they, have enough, they don't have enough food to eat? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to kind of tell it. Especially so, when you have no POV from the, Exactly. From you don't, the people, that's that's you know? one of the common criticisms of Gurm's work is they're very little non-lorder lady POVs. Yeah. So you eventually have to get told what it's like to be them. And sure. this is a pretty good scene for it. Um, it's got a lot of charismatic people that have well-written dialogue, and they're explaining what the stakes are so you know. You know. Right. This is what I mean about spe- setting expectations. We know what to expect when this siege starts and what to look for. Like and also, like, you might think, like, oh, well, this might be, like, you know, some some neat little surrender where, you know, Tyrion's going to march out there at the sword and, like, kneel before Stannis. And no, this is this is annihilation uh-huh. of the entire house that they're facing when Stannis shows up. If yep. they don't defeat them, everyone wearing a Lannister a uniform, everyone wearing a gold cloak, like, the mm-hmm. only ones that will live are the peasants. <laughs> or as Kevin Lannister points out, the people who aren't there, right? Right. And he tries to get Tywin to evacuate, but Tywin is too stubborn for that. Yeah. There's no way he's evacuating yeah. uh, his his rightful castle. But now, so they, you know, they say, what do we have? And he said, pig shit. Um, yeah. If you're a sharp a sharp viewer, you re, you remember that Bronn referred to the substance of the alchemist as pig shit before. The substance so, of the alchemist? Yeah, the, the wildfire. Okay. So Tyrion, mm. like, has, a, like, you know, even though Bronn is very dismissive about using it in catapults, you know, we already know that Tyrion wanted to take over production of the wildfire. The question is, how is he going to use it? Yeah. What big grand strategy does he have in store? 
sure. Okay, we go back north of the wall, this time to another group. Um, the, the brothers with, with Sam there um, are wondering where John is, and Sam doesn't agree that with everyone else who says he's dead. Uh, they end up finding a stone with the marks of the first man on it, and underneath is a cache of dragonglass and a horn. Um, Sam immediately recognizes the dragonglass. He's he's the book smarts guy. <laughs> yep. So or obsidian, yeah, as it's commonly known. Yeah, it's uh, pretty pretty. I mean, eh, I got a lot more to say about this in the spoiler section. Okay. Uh, we go to Jackin, who finds Arya and asks him to kill Tywin. He can't do it right now as she wants, so she names him instead, and he is not amused. She promises to unname him if he helps them escape, and he says, all right, I'll help you walk out of the gates at midnight. This reminds me a lot of, like, trying to barter with a genie. Yes. No, this is the problem. It's the ultimate wish for more wishes, right? Uh Like, I will unname you if you help me. Oh, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to unname you now that you've helped me, uh, unless you help me with this other thing that I want. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and once How many the, times can once you pull the this? girl establishes that she has no honor. Well, I yeah. think I think I, at this point Jack needs to shed his own honor. <laughs> yeah, or at this point Jackin's like, "Okay, well, you explicitly traded the life for the help. Mm-hmm. So our debt is paid." And also, I get like there's there's many more than than bot. So I don't know. I think the, the Jackin could tell Ari to, to fuck off, but clearly he's being manipulated and doing something he doesn't really want to do. Yeah. I guess the question is does he not really want to do it because he's also clearly charmed by Arya and there's there that he he sees something there to her and like this is kind of something he's doing as a project for his own amusement so how much of his mm-hmm. annoyance is real and how much of it is just him like secretly uh happier excited to see how clever and resourceful she is i don't know yeah the thing i couldn't get out of my head is um is jack free to leave this this area is he can he leave the vicinity of Arya or is he kind of bound here while she's got this name debt? I imagine yeah he can't leave until he clears the debt. I thought you were yeah. asking me if he can get in or out of the Lannister army, and I'm like I don't oh, think no. yeah I don't, I don't think the I think he could he could leave in that sense anytime yeah, yeah. he fucking wanted to. But uh, yeah, I, I think that because uh, because it does seem that he I don't know what is what is his concept he's honor bound to to stay there i guess we, that's what he done. says but we don't really know much about him and he was a th- you know he was he's he's yeah. came from the black cells and he's a lannister soldier he's 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 a very mysterious guy so we don't know i guess it's a good thing that Arya needs to blast through those names in a matter of days because he could be there for years conceivably right <laughs> right he just never needs to kill anybody right month six comes around and jackin's like god i'd really like to leave the lannister army yeah 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 uh and the the other thing is why why couldn't she name Tywin like even now like he he could ride she after could, him could but he can't... might defeat Rob before yeah, before I guess that that's happens because he says he can't explicitly promise yeah um what what he can and can't you know how he can promise the death he just can't say when it's going to happen yeah we've all, I mean this has been the thing for a few episodes now why doesn't she just name Tywin yeah um and I think I understand why she doesn't in this moment but right. you know overall she probably should have named him immediately. I feel like we had the we had a deride of that though. Like, okay, first time you're just you're like, oh, we'll prove yeah, it. Second it. time you're forced to because like, of, I I kind of think this is one of the smarter things that um uh, uh that, that that Martin did is that he had a pretty plausible reason for her not to to take these things or I guess yeah. the double D's when they're writing they really had her on the horns of the dilemma so. Like, the obvious thing is, like, well, go kill Joffrey or go kill Tywin. Like, none of those will immediately help her. Right. Or she's forced to do something else. Yep. 
Okay, Tyrion and Cersei are arguing about where Joffrey should be during the coming battle. Tyrion wants him on the battlefield. Cersei does not. Uh, Tyrion thinks... Um, so Cersei tells Tyrion that his cock is doing half of his thinking for him and reveals that she has captured his whore and threatens to kill her if anything happens to Joffrey. Tyrion tries really hard here to play it cool, but he's obviously shaken until Cersei shows him the wrong whore. Well, you know, a whore he still cares about, but not the whore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion promises to hurt her for it and then rushes off to find Shay, and he tells her they have to be more careful. Yeah. Uh, smug, happy Cersei. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, that's the story of Cersei's life. She's a day late and a dollar short. Or yeah. a day late and uh, the wrong whore short because... Um, Man, and the way uh, Dinklage played that, where mm-hmm. it's like he would be visibly relieved, except for he's using every bit of his self-control to not to appear to be visibly relieved. Yeah. And also, it's like, from for Ross's point of view, like, why is Ross going along with this? Why doesn't she say, "We"? I don't know him. Right. Because Prince Cersei probably wouldn't believe it. Right. Yeah. That's true. Like, she probably might have and just got beat for her, her troubles. Yeah, maybe so. I gotta say, the whip marks on her back do not look very real mm. they look fake as fuck i didn't even notice them honestly i saw her yeah. busted up face but uh-huh. uh where did she and then i'm guessing that she got the lion necklace from joffrey mm. okay because that's the other she question i had is like well how the hell did she get the the lion necklace yeah maybe as payment for you know right. her services who the fuck knows uh joffrey's a monster i don't know why he would give her a necklace but uh Probably just to rub it in, honestly. Yeah, like, maybe. here's the fucking reminder of this. Where why she would be wearing it? Like, why wouldn't she? That, I don't know. That's a little the the connection there. This is so. This is um, you know, this is uh, this is a rewrite and a remix from the books. It doesn't quite mm-hmm. go like you know, Roz is a as a, a show. Uh, um, she's a character invented for the show. Uh, and there's a little creak and groan in some of these scenes when they're trying to adapt that material. And I think the real question of the, the lion necklace is just like, you know, this didn't happen in the books this way, but they needed the plot to resolve this way. So hmm. shortcuts were made, sacrifices were made. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, as as a show watcher who doesn't care what necklace she's wearing, it's not. Um, yeah, it's not a fatal speed bump at all. Well, I think this is a really excellent scene, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, if not just for the parts between. Uh, Tyrion and Cersei um, then also the parts between Tyrion and Roz because Tyrion certainly feels bad about pushing Roz into the middle of this right Right. by sending her as some weird tribute or some weird distraction for Joffrey or to get his head clear or whatever Um, he stuck her in the middle of a very bad situation so when he sees her come in I think he is sad about this but he is also relieved yeah um, that it's not his his woman right (laughs) that it's not Shay Uh, it, it is Cersei implying that Varys helped her find this whore. There's there are a couple of no mentions I... of Varys and his birds and why Varys is so good. And I'm wondering if if there wasn't an implication that Varys pointed her in the wrong direction. I think that Cersei would welcome Tyrion making that inference, but she's careful not to say that. She's she saying, is, yeah. you know. Uh, she, she she said something. I thought she said something along the lines of like Varys isn't the only one that knows secrets, or you know, mm-hmm. or you're not the only one that has secrets. Or I I don't know, but I yeah I don't I don't know what the play for Varys because because here's the thing, Varys didn't really help Cersei, right? 
Yeah. And if Cersei found out, he would be executed immediately. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's a it's a game where there's no percentage in him for playing it, and he's not even playing it with the right hand. That's why. That's why I don't think it's Varys. Hmm. Do you, you think it is? I mean, if, if Cersei comes to you and says, "Find out who Tyrion is with right now," right? Um, I know Tyrion's up to something. Find out what it is, and Varys is tasked with that. He comes back with nothing. It looks pretty bad. Yeah, but it's... He it's, comes back with something, it looks a little bit better, um, and if he knows that Tyrion is as smart as Tyrion is, he has a lot of faith that Tyrion is not going to let on that this is not the person she thinks it is. Yeah, I'm just saying that's... that's it's risky, it's, certainly, I think but it's, he's it's playing less, a risky game. It's less risky to just tell her, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I've never, I never... I don't have any intelligence on that, I'll, I'll, but I'll, I'll get right on it, and then you could go, like, if, if Varys wanted to, he could go to... I guess Tyrion and see what he wanted to do, or see if yeah. Tyrion had a better offer, or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was picking up some kind of implication, but maybe not. All right, Roos suggests that Rob send his son to take Winterfell, not Rob's son, Roos's son, uh, and he agrees. And as Roos leaves, Talisa comes in and they talk about how she became a doctor as they drink some wine. Rob is so moved by the story that he decides he wants to marry Talisa instead of the Frey girl, and they bang. Yeah, quote unquote, marry. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> right, that's the implication. <laughs> yeah, I just like it's 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 it reminds me a lot of that the Kira Knightley's character in the first uh, Pirates, how she's always longfully talking about getting married, and the subtext is fucked. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, this is very very tough to watch because it's it's Rob committing political suicide. Yeah, and. I understand why he's doing it, you know? But he's like, the thing is, like... It's a stupid decision, but I get it. It's a stupid decision in isolation based on all the turmoil that's in his camp. Mm -hmm. And it shows kind of like how, you know, the the beginning of the season we talked about, they had all these little tricks to show us how in tune he was with his men. He knew Mm -hmm. all their names, and they're all like, hey, there's Rob, he's the greatest. Right. Like, he has really lost touch. He has gotten, like, you know, up this woman's ass and gotten turned around by his mom and he is now doing stuff that again in isolation it would be dumb to fuck over the phrase and to reject the marriage alliance Mm -hmm. but when you're already in this unstable position you don't even have your own capital city it's Mm -hmm. it's hard to feel good for the guy (laughs) for sure i did like talisa's story i thought that was pretty good about you know um, why she rejected her life of comfort and ease and why she yeah. would become a, a medicine person because uh, of this experience with this this selfless slave that saved her brother's life at the mm-hmm. risk of his own. Um, yeah. uh, and, you know, the depiction of medieval era CPR was pretty cool. But And, and you got to think, I mean... It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. We're watching Shakespearean tragedy unfold. Absolutely, yeah. Um, dumb decision made for purely emotional reasons, much like Kat makes her decision in this sure. episode. right. Um, I think it's colossally stupid on both parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in both instances, you also understand why they do the things they do. And that's what makes it good writing. You know, they're not making arbitrary decisions because the plot demands it. Yeah. They're no. making decisions based on their heart. Um, right. Who they are. And I think that's super important when it comes to believability. Yeah. Uh, so Arya and Gendry and Hot Pie wonder how they're going to get past the guards as they spy the gates. Uh, they notice... As they leave through the gates, because Arya just takes on faith, like Jack and said, walk through the gates, let's do it. 
Uh, all the guards are dead. Yeah, it was like a leap of faith because it, it looks for all like it, from a distance. It looked like there's these vigilant guards, and you get <laughs> right. you get it close, and they're just all mounted on pikes, or there's a noose around their neck, and uh huh. Um, yeah, it's super cool. It's good because it provides some cover that you could believe. Okay, the other guards walking past might right. think they're, they're still oh, yeah, on guard. There's, there's old Brett. There's old Brett yeah. holding down the gate like Brett does. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and they, you have to go right at this time because you know the guards the guards will shift and mm-hmm. think about like how how terrible it'd be if 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 Ari and Hot Pie and them had just waited or gone back because oh, I guess Jack and didn't deliver yeah um, but uh, Ari has faith and it's rewarded. All right, then we move on to Stannis. Um, he he's going to be in King's Landing in about a day, says Davos. If the wind holds, um, he doesn't quite understand why Davos doesn't hate the men who laugh at him behind his back, but. Uh, Stannis recounts the siege at Storm's End and how he gave up the castle when Rob asked him to, and he tells Davos, well, as soon as I take the throne, I'm making you hand to the king. Yeah. This is another good scene. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, Stannis has always been firm but fair with with Sir Davos. Not, I don't know, he's not a sir. Yeah, yeah no, he's, a, he's, he's a, a, the Onion Knight. He's an actual knight? I thought mm-hmm. that was like a, a joke name. I know mm-hmm. un, the Onion part is, but... No, no, he's a, he was knighted by, uh, on behalf of his servants to Stannis. Huh, okay. Then, yeah, Sir and He Davos. literally, yeah, he's got it like, he, he's got a standard, the Onion. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. Which is kind of... <laughs> I can banner. see, like, come on, Dad, wouldn't, like, three mermaids with tridents, that'd be bitching. Yeah. You know, it's look, look, kid. Once I'm gone, you do whatever the fuck you want. Right. With the the banner, the right. crest from now on. Right. While I'm here, it's the fucking onion. But you wear that onion. You wear it with pride. Yeah. Pray I don't make it an onion helmet. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I. What, what? I'm sorry. I feel like I dis dis. Yeah. Yeah. Here. I mean, it, Stannis has always been firm but fair with Davos, and I feel like again he's doing the same here. You know, he's. He doesn't quite get, I guess, Davos. Like he would be a, a, a bit of a bastard um, mm-hmm. if it came down to Stannis and Davos situation. But he understands what kind of man Davos is and needs him by his side. And also, he's more self aware than I think people give him credit for because I think people mm-hmm. admire in others the qualities that they lack in themselves. Sure. Yeah. And you're right. He doesn't understand why Davos doesn't take these petty slights personally. Whereas Davos, yeah. from his perspective, is like, you know, it's totally understandable why they're doing this. And it, no skin off, you know, I, I was a. Uh, a crabber's son so it's like i'm i'm used to this kind of shit who cares yeah and, and also, he doesn't understand it because of this story with storm's end right like yeah how he was repaid for all of his hard work was right. to have storm's end ripped away from him right he's and he's, no thanks at all he's showing uh now that it's interesting because like the politics of that i kind of do- got into a deep dive because it's never immediately huh. been clear to me why stannis thought that was a slight Okay, um, and I don't know how much this is going to be interesting to talk to because uh, talk about because you've got Storm's End, which is the Baratheons, the Stormlands castle. Okay, so that's the hereditary possession of the, the Baratheons, it's like and the you, Casterly Rock of the Lannisters, exactly, and you or the Winterfell of the Starks, and then yeah. you've got Dragonstone, which doesn't really have any lands. It's always been the Targaryens treated it as the the home of the heir apparent. Hmm. Like, okay. you know, when they're, during the reign, the Mad King, uh, Prince Rhaegar had dominion over that. And, hmm. and I did a lot of research, and there's mixed there's mixed views on, on whether Robert did this as a slight or Robert did this as a clumsy way to show 
uh, like affection and gratitude and just, you know, was bored with the politics and just kind of did it willy nilly or Mm -hmm. uh, and like didn't take into consideration his brother's feelings on it. And then there's like Cersei has an opinion that it was a deliberate slight. But then, you know, Cersei's moves in her mouth. It's 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 a good chance that what's coming out is a lie. (laughs) Uh-huh. So as near as I can say, I think that I'm a little bit sympathetic to – I'm like 50-50 thinking that Robert did it as a snub because he was mad. He, the, the the actual fact is he was a little angry at Stannis for not arriving at Dragonstone. Uh, he was a little late to getting to Dragonstone and allowed one of um, – uh, one of a, a Targaryen loyalist to smuggle Daenerys and her brother Viserys mm. over to Essos. Okay, and you know Robert was all about destroying every last Targaryen. He wanted to tear him out root and branch. Yeah. Um, but I also think I'm sympathetic to the idea that uh, Robert thought this would be a good an honor for their his two brothers. Like, because mm-hmm. because by rights. What should have happened is Joffrey has Dragonstone as the heir apparent, and his next in line son would have Storm's End. So Tommen would have Storm's End. Okay. Giving these castles to his brothers, I think he thought would be a great honor. Mm-hmm. But all Stannis could see is, well, Renly gets the one that has all of the lands and money, and I've got this rocky, shitty fucking Targaryen outpost, essentially. Yeah, and I'm never going to sit on the Iron Throne. I'm fourth in line at this point, so fuck you, Robert. And I it held, was the one that and, he just held. You yeah, know, for, I, I almost starved. My family yeah. almost died for our fucking ancestral home. Fuck mm-hmm. you very much. So I think that the truth probably is somewhere in the middle. Like yeah. I could see an argument for both sides, but like you know, the brothers never talked about it. Um, Stannis has his opinion. Robert, like as soon as he made the decision to give up, the, he probably never thought about it again. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because he could like some of this stuff that Stannis harbored as a resentment and a grudge could have been entirely accidental. Because mm-hmm. uh, Robert is not—he's <laughs> many things, but he's not a politician. He should have just asked Stannis what he wanted. Look, yeah. Stannis, you did a hell of a job uh, holding holding Storm's End. What do you want for yeah. it? Yeah, and I, I love the performance here with Stannis because, like, you know, the uh, the the we ran out of food. The, uh, we had no place to go with the horses, so we ate the horses. Fine. You know, cats, never much like cats, so fine. Dogs, <laughs> always like dogs. They're good, they're loyal. We ate them, too. They're de- like, it's just this matter-of-fact telling yeah. of how bone they were and how how um, how Davos saved them I thought was really good. And yeah. the other thing about this is, like, yes, he is grateful for all of Davos's hard work, but you can kind of get a little bit of, like, it amuses Stannis to think that his the, his, the Lord's reaction when he elevates the Onion Knight to hand. Uh-huh. Like, oh, man, yeah. they're going to be so fucking pissed. There's, like, <laughs> half a dozen you bastards think you're going to get hand, and I'm going to give it to the Onion Knight you've been spitting on. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just, yeah, it's, it's a great scene just as is, and you think about all the background, it's even better. All right, Joffrey unveils his plan for King's Landing, which is terrible, um, and they're up on the wall at this point surveying it. Uh, Varys tells Tyrion that Danny is alive and she has three dragons, um, and they start t- they start playing a game here, um, which I-, I don't know that Tyrion really reveals all that much to Varys because uh, Varys says, "Hey, you you start if you, we're going to play, you start." And Tyrion just kind of goes on about you know stuff that seems inconsequential. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then uh, I forget what does Varys tell him at the end. He doesn't tell him anything. That's the thing. Like they, uh, they play. The, he says, uh, "Well, if you because because Varys says no." He tells him about the dragons. Yeah, 
Yeah, but then he says, but, but then he, Tyrion says, what do you really want, Varys? And Varys says, well, if we're going to play the game, then you have to go first. And Tyrion yeah. doesn't, doesn't refuse to play. No, but after that, he tells him about the, the dragons. I thought that that was the last of the conversation. I thought the dragons came first. Mm, I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, Tyrion is he says not one game at a time, my friend. At like, the end of that scene, Tyrion... Mm. says hey let's win this battle and then deal with the dragons uh right and that's because i don't you get the the Tyrion doesn't take the threat of the dragon seriously yeah like he's um, kind of in full grumpkins and snarks mode with that oh uh, so this targaryen teenager at the edge of the world's got three dragons eh yeah wow stunning e- even if he did take it seriously i think he's in the right here to focus up yeah on t- the the ensue the impending battle yeah well these dragons come and burn my ass before stannis puts my head on a pike <laughs> right. no well then i don't give a fuck yeah well let's talk after that the stannis scene. is like if i either win and then i'll worry about it or i won't and it's stannis's problem yep <laughs> yep all right so under jorah's protest danny decides that she's staying in karth until she gets her dragons uh jorah believes she won't come out of the house of undying if she goes in there danny doesn't care she makes an emotional plea to Jorah to take her into the House of the Undying. I think he's got to. He's got a good point. Yeah, I mean, she, like these he warlocks has to obey her, magic. Right? What about my magic? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Danny has magic. Uh, she still has magic, but it's you know why not? If you're if if you're loyal to her and this is what she wants to do, and yeah. Uh, it seems this is the first evidence we've had since the witch kind of gave her that mild that that curse about um, you know, not bearing children that that Danny took it to heart. Because mm-hmm. she says the the Jorah, which is kind of another like cool like man, Jorah has to be told multiple episodes this season to cool as fucking jets. Yeah, he's a man uh, of action. He he is. He <laughs> and is. mostly it's fleeing. Right, right. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, it's again. This is just kind of like kicking the ball to the next. The Danny's the next plot episode, doesn't yeah. advance at all. I'm kind yeah, of surprised that, they. I'm kind of surprised they uh they they put the scene in. I'm kind of surprised they let her out of that room. Um, it It's clear to me that they are willing to imprison her to keep her there. Yeah, but it like, seems like... like there are no links they will not go to. So why even let her out of that room? I think it's somewhat important that she does it of her own free will. Hmm. Um, okay. Because it's, it seems like that, yeah, why wouldn't they? Um but they need they need Danny's cooperation to mother these dragons so they grow to be big and strong and they hmm. can exploit it however they want to exploit it. But that's that's how I got that okay. if they just took her by force, um, you know they're not sure. I, I I have no idea. They're all fucking horrifying warlocks and they're inscrutable as hell. <laughs> uh-huh. But that's the idea I got. All right, so we go over to Theon at Winterfell. He tries to give um, his second-in-command some gold for the farmer whose children they killed. But he says the farmer's dead, and Lewin hears him talking, and then he goes inside, and we see he is hiding Bran and his party. Um, so Bran and Rickon were not killed. Right in the crypts of Winterfell. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't make this be a multi-episode like cliffhanger, because it's not, it's not a super great cliffhanger. I, I remember con- uh-huh. contemporaneously... Not very many people fell for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think there are reasons not to. I do like how if you think that, you know, Theon has burned the the two boys he says he burned, mm-hmm. um, the the previous scene before they show Bran and Rickon uh, is very confusing. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait, what? The farmer mm-hmm. gold for his troubles? What are you talking about? Right. And then you connect all the dots here with Lewin. 
Yeah. Uh, as you follow him. Yeah, and I like, you know, Dax, like, you know, Theon, what the hell? Uh, Theon is this weird thing where he's trying to, like, I think walk on top, like, along the fence line instead of going on, like, oh, well, you know, give this farmer some money for his troubles Uh when you slaughtered his adoptive children. And Dagmar's just, like, so far ahead, it's like, We what? killed them a long yeah, time like, ago. Like, and it's it's so weird because like his respect for Theon probably falls even more. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I can't believe you would think that you would buy someone's silence off like that. It's so stupid. Yeah. Like these people don't matter. They're not your people. Yeah. It could be devastating if they if they if they contradicted your story. So <laughs> Theon's just fucking lost ball in high weeds. Yeah. And people are getting murdered. That's the it'd be funny if it wasn't so damn tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the end of the episode. I don't know if you have anything else to talk about, but just poor Brand, because like, so that's the other thing we debated about. It sounds like that Brand made the decision not to endanger the the farmers to do this insanely risky thing of trying to sneak back into Winterfell yeah. and hide underneath Theon's nose. But those boys got killed anyway. And as it's funny because they're having this conversation about like, hey, Brand would be fucking miserable if he knew about this. It's a good thing he's asleep as they pan around the column and Bran's like wide awake, horrified. <laughs> uh-huh. Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, he's got, he's grown up fast. <laughs> yes, he is. No, that's, uh, that's all I got though. Okay, cool. It's time to talk about the club. Club.baldmove.com. I think uh-huh. I want to like play the world's tiniest violin for the professional podcasters here because the reality is I think, before everything's said and done, we're going to go like 21 days without having a day off here. <laughs> oh, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Just 21? 20, 21 days without a single day off because we love fucking podcasting so much and also because people pay us money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have this sense of professional obligation. If you want to add to our burden of obligation, if you want to keep our nose lashed to the podcasting grindstone, the best way to do that is go to the club, club.baldmove.com. And it's not just about screwing us over but making this podcast. No, no. You get you get a lot of you get a lot of uh, cool features. You get a lot of uh, you get a lot of expanded things. You get VIP access to forums, you get exclusive video versions of the podcast, you get a bunch of uh, uh, exclusive video and audio content. Uh, one of them's coming up this next Wednesday, uh, Quip, Quit Your Pitching, where Jim and I make up television shows and pitch them to each other and sometimes they're interesting, sometimes they're funny. Uh, sometimes or neither, and, and we, we cut it, and we cut those. <laughs> yeah, like like you only get every other pitch, maybe every uh-huh. third pitch, because some of them, some of them get a little like we should we should we should we should keep all the outtakes and release them just so people see. Like, yep, those yeah, that was a, think, that was a terrible podcast. I think every other pitch is about the right the right pace. Uh, you only want every other pitch. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, you don't. It's it's you gotta. You know, it's just like real life uh, major league pitchers. Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta you gotta husband them. You can't yeah, just take a few shots to the shoulder before you can walk the bases. You gotta gotta warm them up and hit the batters upside <laughs> the head. Gotta eject a few catchers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> can you do that even? Yeah, you gotta pinch hit the. You gotta you gotta you gotta get your biggest dude and with a baseball and he gets good. Beat the pitcher. Beat him down on the mound. That's how yeah. you win. That's how you win the game of podcast. It's an intimidation game. Club Hey, club. You beat him with a club. Club do we have any feedback to do this week? We do. We have a we have a good amount of non-spoiler feedback that we can talk about. Uh, first up, uh, Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com is where you go to send this. We can go on to forums.baldmove.com where we have uh, many episodes discussing discussing the uh, 
the Game of Thrones series. Good a Lord, lot having, of them. A I, lot, like 60 of them. Having a hard time. Having a hard time with the transitions today. Uh, Amanda GD. I've noticed that even though the Lannister house is a lion, I've never once seen nor heard of real lions in the lands of Westeros. How does house come to know of the animal? And is there a chance that dragons are more of a real animal than lions are? So... Stop me if you've heard this story before, but lions used to roam uh, the plains of uh, Westeros, and particularly the Westerlands, where the Casterlies uh, made their rock, uh, and the Lannisters uh, adopted them for the sigil, but they were hunted to near extinction. In fact, um, in, during a hunting party, Tywin's father, Titus, was almost killed by a lion, and he was saved by the kennel master... Uh, and his three dogs, the last name of that kennel master, Clegane, which started the, in, mm-hmm. in reward for his service, he elevated them to uh, a knight. And that's how, uh, if, you, if you've noticed that Gregor and Sandor, the, the Clegane standard is three dogs, three black dogs on a, on a yellow field hmm. as tribute to how they got their, their title. Um, and Titus kept uh, lions in cages beneath Casterly Rock. But at this point in history, that was like, you know, there, there was very few and they were sickly. It's kind of similar to the, the way the dragons went. And they're they're all but extinct in Westeros at this point. Hmm. Still lots of lions over in Essos. Uh, but in Westeros, they've been hunted to extinction. It's very similar to, uh, you know, the fact that there was lions in southern Europe during like mm-hmm. Roman times and the Romans used them for the arenas and did the hunting and all that. And there you can't find lions in, in Europe anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a similar type of deal. Uh, so there you go. Julie J says, I'm a first time reader of the books and I'm just reading a clash of Kings on p- the podcast for two Oh six. A listener asked why Arya didn't give Tywin's name to Jack him. I just read this page in the books, and the simple answer is that she didn't think of it. She named uh, some people out of emotion at the time and only realized too late, as Tywin wrote out, that she could have named him instead. I guess she's only 11 or 12, so strategy isn't her strong point. Yeah, honestly, it's been a while since I've read those first few books, so I wasn't even sure how that you know alternate history comes, uh, uh, comes out. But as I've pointed out a few times in the books, uh, she never meets Tywin. He is not her servant, so there's even less of a chance for her to do that. Yeah. Uh, Jane W. says, after listening to your coverage of A Man Without Honor, I'm interested in your point that maybe Tywin enjoys having a plausible deniability regarding Sir Gregor's shenanigans and is secretly glad about some of the nastier things he does. Could there be a similar thing going on with the Starks and the Boltons? Did Ned's dad, Rickard, turn a blind eye to the flaying every once in a while if it kept taxes paid and crime down? Ned, as a younger son who hasn't been groomed for a job involving that level of ethical stickiness, would have missed out on these lessons, and maybe that accounts for his pig-headed devotion to the quote-unquote right thing. Mm. It's not necessarily sold. I'm not necessarily sold on my theory here, but it's interesting to think about. Would love to hear you and Jim's take. Man. I don't know, because I've, I've never quite understood how Ned could be cool with it. Right. I mean, what what is a man of honor doing with uh, fraternizing with a house that's going to flay people. Well, like like Rob said, you know, flaying's been outlawed in the North for centuries, and Roos agrees to that. Uh, I think Roos is trying to maybe bring it back. Uh, did, so so they've been unable to flay people under yeah, Ned's rule? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. And, and that's the, the, the key thing is you have to think about the differences between the Cleganes and the relationship with the 
um, the Lannisters and the Boltons and their relationship with the Starks. Because, as I just explained, the Cleganes are very recently established, not even lords, they're mm-hmm. they're just knights. They're, yeah. they're, you know, very, very minor, very, the minorest of nobles in the, and they owe everything, everything they have to the Lannisters. So they're super, like, loyal lapdog kind of things. Um, whereas the Boltons go back thousands of years ago. In fact, they were kings in their own right in the north, the Red Kings, until the, mm-hmm. then they had just thousands of years of enmity and strife with the Starks. And they'd go back like, you know, the the, uh, the apparently there's actually skins of Stark kings and, and lords in the, the bowels of the Dreadfort from some of these old conquests and, and fightings. It's only been recently in, in recent times that the Boltons, like in the last few centuries that the Boltons and Starks have kind of like, you know, stopped the fussing and the feuding because I think there was mm-hmm. even a, a, a Bolton rebellion less than a thousand years ago in the Game of Thrones history. So, you know, Boltons have castles and lands and they're powerful and their relationship to the Starks, even though the Starks are above them, they're a lot more on equal footing. So I don't think they would do the Starks dirty work. Um, whereas the 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 Cleganes uh, are the opposite; they're they're total vassal relationship to the to the to the Lannisters. They have any any power in their own right, so I don't I don't think so. Um, and there's nothing to suggest in the text that there's anything like that going on either. Brett from Milwaukee uh, has a bone to pick with Catelyn. Uh, first, <laughs> she kidnaps Tyrion, which indirectly caused her husband to lose his head, and now Lady Stark frees Jaime Lannister against her son's wishes because of her desperation to free her daughters. Is Catelyn Stark the single dumbest person of all Westeros? And if not, who would you give that honor to? The single dumbest. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, hmm. there's a lot of contenders for dumbest person. Sure. Uh, like, for example, if Cersei... You, give, you put Cersei in the position of Catelyn, would she have made better decisions? If you put... You know, uh, uh, Theon and Cat's position. Would she make better decisions? Uh, if you put, I don't know, Joffrey, Joffrey in Cat's <laughs> position, would he make better decisions? I think some people would make objectively worse decisions. Yeah, like Joffrey would have just lopped off Jamie's head as soon as he got him, and and squat had pissed away his yeah his strategic value before he even like it just burned worse, a hole in his pocket p- pissed off the the lannisters you know right which causes them to kill well no they're too smart for that but right uh angers them certainly if you want to say she's the dumbest of our pov heroic characters ah, <laughs> uh, that's closer to the mark but i've always said and i get a lot of heat for it that i think that and i i'm, I'm not i'm not going to debate this in future podcasts so save your emails but i think ned i think the stark's the Starks operate in a world that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and I think that's dumb. Yeah, um, and it's just, it's just like Varys said in this episode. It's not that Ned is a bad guy; he was just a bad, bad hand. It's not that Robert was a bad guy; he's just a very bad king. And it's because they just the world that they want to live in, they act like that's the world they do live in. And Cat's the same way; she. <laughs> Shay's the same way. Shay's the same, like a lot of people, are the same way. But she she yeah. trades away a theoretical possibility, however remote, for a zero possibility. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not going to defend her, but I'm a dumbest person. There's a lot. There's a lot of fucking stupid people in in Westeros. Mm-hmm. Um, Prashant R. I was listening to your latest podcast and how you were talking about Jon Snow's virtue and not wanting to father a bastard, and my mind started to wonder. 
what are about uh, all these bastards, such as Snow, Sands, etc.? What about all those ones that do father bastards? Are those bastards also called Snow? Are they Super Snow, Snow 2.0, Snow Jr.? What about those bastard fathers who uh, father children inside wedlock? Are their kids now also called Snow? Wouldn't that mean eventually the last name Snow would then lose its meaning or purpose? Wouldn't it also mean that the same last name of Snow would become the super super common in the North because of the natural propagation of the name? I, yeah, we, I remember some kind this. of explanation of this, but it was very confusing, and and ultimately I didn't care. Okay, well, man, I'll have to do a better job because this is a you are trying to view these last names through a modern lens where everyone's right. got them. Where in medieval society, only like lords and ladies had last name because mm-hmm. no one else's bloodline mattered at all. Yeah. So, like, if you were a commoner or a peasant, you were just called John or Jim or Sarah or Callie. And if there was two Sarahs, you might be Big Sarah or Little Sarah or Blonde Sarah or Red Sarah. Or if Uh you were the, you know, the Smithy, you might get called Smithy. Mm. Like, you know, because your town only had a couple hundred people in it. And, you know, you you didn't need area codes. You didn't need phone books. You just... So, they're, like, last names uh, or surnames, that should be a big... uh, big hint about the whole nature of them those are names you got you like bequeath when you did something to distinguish yourself and you established a house yeah everybody else like you know like like a farmer and his wife they didn't have bastards they had natural children but it didn't really matter mm-hmm. um so no one had last so so like john snow has a child um whether it's in wedlock or not that child would not have a last name because they wouldn't be a stark and the only reason John's got a last name is to let everyone know that dude is with 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 Ned Stark, not a real Stark. Yeah. Uh, so I imagine the snow would just drop off if John had kids. Right. And that's the other thing is like that's why bastards kind of were caught between these two worlds because they materially live better lives than any commoner. Mm-hmm. And yet so commoners looked up, you know, like kind of looked down on them for being like, you know, fancy lads. But then the lords and ladies looked down on them because... They're bastards. Mm-hmm. Walt B. Apologies if I missed you talk about this before, but if Danny got three petrified dragon eggs for a wedding gift, presumably there are many more out there in existence. Why the hell didn't she ever go looking for more or send someone to try to find more? There might be more out there, but I don't. I don't think you have to make that assumption. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple things. I, I think that George meant that her dragon eggs being used and and like turning into real dragons was like this one time kind of magical event (laughs) that was never to be repeated Uh and and evidence there's a lot of discussion about tons of targaryens after the dragons died out doing all kinds of things to try to resurrect the dragons and it always ended in tragedy like one king tried to drink wildfire uh what like the tragedy at Summerhall, where the whole summer house of the Targaryen burnt down and killed a large part of the Targaryen dynasty during the days of uh, Good King Aegon, um, or Aegon the, the was that the fifth, the Egg from Duncan Egg uh, sequel. That was a lot of people think that was in some kind of ritual to try to bring back the dragons. So it's not, it's not like you get a fossilized dragon egg and you do something special to it. Like I don't think Danny. Like how would Danny? How would Danny find someone she truly loved, get pregnant, have the witch betrayer in an act of dark blood magic, burn all that stuff on a pyre, 
with the eggs and then pop out dragons. Like, mm-hmm. what what of that sounds replicable? Also, I mean, if we're talking about her quest to take the Iron Throne, the dragons are not what she needs, you know? She's got the dragons. Yeah. Um, to go out looking for more dragons when you don't have a ship, you don't have armies, you don't yeah. have anyone following you, I think is, um, you, you know, misguided. Yeah, I mean, you have to find them. They're very expensive. You'd have to then buy them. And then again, you'd have to hatch up an idea that has been fatal to Targaryens for centuries to try to, to wake yeah. them back up. So, I mean, I, I, I can still see, like, I can hear people, but 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 having three, six dragons would be better than three. It's like, okay, of yeah. Of course it but, would. But is it better than having uh, boats and an army to get you over there? Right, right. Uh, let's see. Jason L. Lord of the Bones refers to John as a dead man's bastard. I'd say it's been at most two months since Ned's beheading. So how does he know this? Do the Wildlings have a Raven subscription? Do the wargs go to nearby castles and stealthily read scrolls? I always have a lot of questions about how people find out information in this world. And most of the time it seems to come down to spies. Yeah, like and that gossip. seems to be the answer. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like I, I think that this is a stretch because you're talking about it's across the wall, and there's no mm-hmm. real friendly relationships. There's no like like rumors coming from Essos and to Westeros and Westeros to Essos. Like that's just people coming across a narrow sea all the time. Yeah, um, they got news and they got gossip. Right. I imagine that 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 the wildlings must have some way to do trade with people like there's smuggler i mean it wouldn't be a reputable trade it'd be smugglers it'd be pirates mm-hmm. but there's a way for them to get that information and two months seems like it's pretty fast for that to travel but it's a pretty big event yeah. so that's the other thing is like the fast the, the bigger the event the faster the news will travel right. and the farther it'll get so like you know the hand of the king being executed as a traitor uh that's got to be pretty high on the scale of news Mm -hmm. so i I guess i don't have a problem with it he says also speaking of knowing things we've heard about the hour of the wolf and you mentioned in a previous podcast all sorts of hours this episode jack and tells aria to go through the gates at midnight how do people tell time (laughs) in this world i'm guessing by moon positions or something like that but this world construction is rather ambiguous yeah i mean i guess that would be how they do it yeah celestial bodies (laughs) i looked up this i couldn't find an answer in the books. So I did some just research and generally how did medieval people keep time. Right. And I found this article, this Tim O'Neill, who's a master of fine arts and medieval literature, who studied medieval culture for, for many years. And he said that l- really farmers and small folk had no reason to keep time because they sure. woke up at the sun, they took yeah. care of their animals, they planted their crops, and like they go to bed when they're tired, mm-hmm. rinse and repeat. Like, there was no, like, hey, meet me at 3 o'clock at Applebee's for, uh, you know, fucking happy hour. Yeah. But in the medieval period, when towns started to form, and I guess, like, Hall might have one of these situations, that their larger monasteries and, like, cathedrals and chapter houses would ring bells to summon the monks to different prayer sessions that they had, like, every three hours during the day and even in the night and even in in very primitive early medieval times they had various means to keep track of time like some monks were trained just to like have a very innate sense of time like they mm-hmm. that's something they would practice yeah and they'd stay awake and then like the timekeeping brother would go to sleep and then the other one would wake up and they just they also had uh water clocks and sundials hmm. uh okay. um uh what do they call the shit the sand 
uh, hourglasses. Hourglass. They had yeah. they had hourglasses. They could also use astrolabes or quadrants to take reading of the position of suns and stars to calculate the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I remind me, like a master and commander, that's what they did. Like they had the, an hourglass, and when the hour ran out, the marine would flip it over, and he'd ding a bell, and that's when the, the hour changed. Yeah. Uh, when do you think clocks were invented? This was crazy oh, to me. Clocks? The first mechanical clock. 1750. It's actually mid-13th century. Holy shit. And by the 14th century, most communities had at least one. Wow. So, I okay. mean, keeping track of time is important, y'all. <laughs> That's way earlier than I thought, So obviously. I was shocked, too. I was shocked, too. So I'm wondering if, like, the maesters at Old Town have some sort of primitive mechanical clock. And that's like the true, you know, so and that's the other thing is like, I don't think time was as important. So like if the brother slept through his prayer watch, like the sun comes Uh up in the morning, you know, it's dawn. So like, fuck, okay, well, we fucked up Tuesday. (laughs) Wednesday's a new day, brother. Don't fall Uh, asleep this time. And you calendar man, don't fuck it up. We can't reset that thing. So I'm assuming that there is probably in this military operation, there was some sort of bell system. So they'd know like when to change their watches. And that's that's probably what happened. And by watches, I don't mean swatch i mean like people actually standing watching exactly <laughs> uh tessie are you guys going to do a rewatch of set season three after season two it seems like we're going to have quite the hiatus before season eight and it would be awesome to have all these seasons done and ready so i could rewatch before the final epic season mm. uh unfortunately we can't do it right after because we are up to our eyeballs and content um and we want to take a little break around christmas time yeah. So I think there has been, and, and this is all subject to schedule. This is not something you can hold me or Jim to, but I think there's this idea to maybe come back for season three uh, during the old Game of Thrones spring slot, like in April, May of 2018. Uh, but it's all depending on what TV is on and how many things are on our schedule because there's only so many hours in the week that we can do this podcast. And we've really, really fucking pushed that limit in these last few weeks with Stranger <laughs> Things and all that stuff. So um, the best way to stay on top of that is to follow us on social media. Uh, check out baldmove.com. Um, you know, you join the club, you're automatically subscribed to a newsletter. We usually discuss that kind of stuff on like every other month or quarterly basis. Lots of ways to stay in touch, but we'll probably announce it a good couple weeks before we do because we want to build up the audience. Uh, also, uh, if you can afford the space in your podcast client, just keep subscribed to the feed. Yeah, you get hit with a new episode when it happens. Or if you're just a general Bald Move fan, a lot of people don't know this, but you we actually have feeds that are like combined feeds that you can get everything that Bald Move does in one feed. And then... Mm-hmm. When Game of Thrones starts, it's just another thing that comes in your feed. So that's that's another great way to stay. But unfortunately, I can't say six months from now for sure we're going to have time in April to do it or May to do it. Yeah. Um, but I do know that I think you and I are in agreement that we want to do season three before season eight comes back. Yeah, if possible, certainly. So you'll get your you'll get your wish tests in a roundabout way. Um, I just can't tell you. I, it's, I don't have the I don't have an astrolabe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when the hour of the wolf will come for the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's the hour of the wolf. I think it's the hour of the microphone. Our, the hour of the pod yeah. is upon us. Uh, for whom the pod tolls, the toll, the pod tolls for thee. Uh, that's it for the non-spoiler feedback. We have a little bit of stuff to talk about in the spoiler section. Thank you for joining us. We've got uh, um, what's sure to be a whirlwind roller coaster ride of two episodes to go for this season. Send that feedback in to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or get on forums.baldmove.com. 
and all the stuff I just said. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to our feeds. Do all that stuff. Uh, we will see you next week for the penultimate episode. Yeah. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya. And we're back with the spoilers. Do uh, you have anything you want to talk about specifically? I do. I have actually a bunch of things in this episode, which okay. was surprised me because it was kind of a little sleepy episode. Um, I have one exactly one thing that I picked up on that that came back around and was referenced in season seven. Okay. Uh, let me go first then because I got yeah. more than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like these parts with Asha or Yara and Theon because it really informs parts that come later, like the like almost suicide mission that Yara leads to free Theon when he's imprisoned by Ramsay Bolton, which is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it stands in stark contrast to Theon's cravenness when uh, his uncle Euron kidnaps Yara. Uh, and it's like all this stuff she said about her ne'er-do-well brother and him being his lovable dope and how much she personally suffers for him because mm-hmm. she still believes in him. And it's just like it it was really kind of tugged on my heartstrings a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what was your – what's the thing you want to talk about? Uh, I thought it was funny when, um, you know, Tyrion's going over all the books and that scene with Bronn and Varys. And Varys, you know, cr- corrects Tyrion's pronunciation of the name and says, oh, it's a shame the Archmaester wasn't a better writer, uh, which comes around in season seven – when Sam is doing his his investigation and uh, the Archmaester there is talking about how you have to be, oh, a good writer, not just spewing information onto a page because you're not going to get many people to read it. Right, right. Um, the other thing that there's a big difference in the books, like, you know, there's huge differences in the book Arya situation, you know, and in, in, uh, the, the, the way they've portrayed it in the show. But one of the, the, the choices or one of the differences is – um, she has a lot more active role in freeing herself because there's a large number of Starkmen that's being held in the bowels of Heron Hall, and uh, she and gets uh, her associates to as po- posing as servants to take boiling hot soup, uh, saying that they're going to serve it to the prisoners, and they end up throwing it at the guards, which incapacitate them, and they free this, the Northern Men. It's not just like hmm. Jack and doing this one man assassination thing, okay. which may or may not be interesting to people. Um, I really like the this is the the the, call, the first time we find out about uh, Tyrion's work on the Casterly Rock cisterns, mm-hmm. and we know that that later comes into play in season seven because he had some uh, some uh, let's say some sex worker room. tunnels that he yeah. used to shuffle ladies of the night up and down uh, Casterly Rock underneath his his father's nose, and those came in handy uh, for the Battle of Casterly Rock. Um, yeah, it came in handy to get a hold of Jamie as well. Yeah, um, for the meeting. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that's about all I had. I I I, I think we already talked about Danny saying that there's the only children she'll ever have, um, and the snub of Dragonstone. I decided it wasn't spoilery, so I just discussed that in the main post- part of the podcast. Okay. Uh, anything else, or should we get right to the spoiler feedback? Yeah, let's do the feedback. Okay, Noel from Dallas. I'm sure more than one person will point this out to you. Actually not. You're you're it, Noel. Uh, but it's going to be very difficult to make Braun a major player in King's Landing with anything involving Cersei. It's been well known for several seasons now that Lena Hetty and Jerome Flynn, which is Cersei Lannister and Braun of the uh, Sir Braun of the Blackwater respectively, 
will not be seen in the same scene together because they used to date and things did not end well. <laughs> Maybe there's a way to get around that, but it's going to be hard. When- yeah, it's called money. Just get in the fucking room, actors. Do your job. <laughs> so the latest example of this is in the Dragon Pit scene from season seven where Bronn tells Potter that they should go have a drink right before Cersei walks up. Yeah, I mean, I've heard this said a lot, and so far it's been, but are you telling me that if Double Ds need them to share a scene that they wouldn't? Yeah, that... Like, come That's very be unprofessional. a fucking professional. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I can see maybe, you know, the the lighting guy not wanting to get in the room with uh, <laughs> Batman again. Right. But come on. Uh, that that seems silly to me. Yeah, it does seem a little flimsy. And uh, yeah, But, so, I mean, if that's the case, then, yeah, it would be tough to, yeah. to try and make Braun some significant player in King's Landing. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't, I wasn't that big of a fan of Braun leading the Lannister army for lots of reasons. Sure. That's another yeah. good one. I think if they wanted to go with, like, Braun leading a raid on the Black Cells to release uh, Oberyn's paramour, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, then reunite her with the Dornish to lead an army, that would be kind of cool. And I don't see why he would have, um, obviously, Cersei's not going to be guarding the Black Cell <laughs> no. door. So no. I think that could work. Uh, moving on to Derek McKay. I have a quick question. I just watched Lord Glover in season six declare that House Stark is now dead, and it got me thinking about all the other dead houses. I know the show requires us to follow along for dramatic purposes, but isn't it a bit ridiculous that House Baratheon, Stark, Lannister, Tyrell, and Martell are all borderline wiped out? Weren't there any other uncles with their own tree one generation up, a la Kevin Lannister? It seems crazy that all these amazing and ancient houses didn't have a much wider base. So I say this a lot, but I think that the casual show watcher and reader puts way too much stock in hereditary titles when reality, those are fictions that people come up with to maintain social stability. But you've got like the 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 Lannisters are the most powerful house in in the, the Westerlands. But we know that they've had the jockey like from time to time with upstart houses. It's not like, you know, if if the Casterleys go into disrepair and or not the Casterleys, I'm sorry, the Lannisters. If the Lannisters go into disrepair, all their vassal lords won't just be like, well, they're a lot weaker than us, but they're the lords. I mean, the the whole reigns of Castamere happened when the reigns of Castamere decided to tell Tywin Lannister that you ain't shit and we're not going to pay tribute to you anymore. And they did that because Titus, his father, had ran the Lannister Empire so far down and it was going bankrupt and there was the lords didn't respect them that Tywin had to go make an example of those poor reigns um, and tear their house down and drive it to extinction. So I think that this idea that like, oh, well, someone would find some third cousin mm-hmm. of the, the, the Tyrells and prop like, why would the, uh, why would the other people in the, um, in, 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 uh, shit, the, uh, the high garden place, the reach, uh, the reach. Thank you. <laughs> why would the other powerful Lords in the reach agree to that? Yeah. Why wouldn't they just be like, Oh, well they're the type. And cause the other thing is think about a lot of these ancient houses you're talking about are not as ancient as you think. The Tyrells mm. were the stewards of the High Gardens, hmm. the gardeners rather of mm-hmm. High Garden, who were wiped out when Aegon the Targaryen came and burnt their whole army in the Field of Fire. Uh, hmm. 
you know, the Riverlands didn't used to be ran by the uh, Tullys for for all time. They used to be ran by the uh, uh, the the Herons of Harrenhal, which are Iron Islanders. They too were destroyed by Aegon the, Car- the Targaryen conqueror. So it's a lot of these things like once a house gets to to a certain point of weakness they get destroyed that's mm-hmm. what like we talked about that in the non-spoiler section the boltons and the starks there's a there's an alternative history where the boltons won the last big war and they were the kings in the north and they might have kneeled to aegon and became the lords paramount of the north or they might have fought him and gotten destroyed and then the starks get promoted like this shit's not set in stone mm-hmm. and the only time people act like it is is when you have power you're trying to maintain and you're like well if this is you know like <laughs> right the hereditary is to make sure again it's largely a legal fiction that people tell themselves and people believe because of religion and culture and all that but the utility of it is every single time a king dies the realm would go to civil fucking war yeah else and it usually does like if the king has mm-hmm. a weak son it still fucking goes to civil war uh. so it's just like one of those things like before before we go to civil war can we give the kid a chance yeah but once those kids get wiped out and there's no real valuable claim it's civil war so you gotta <laughs> always think that this hereditary shit and who sits the Iron Throne, it's who can fucking take it. Yeah, so. it makes a lot of sense when viewing Tywin's actions through that lens, why he is so concerned about dynasty, right? Yeah, because it almost slipped away from him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the other things. Like, even the Lannisters, this goes back to antiquity, but you'll notice that Casterly Rock is not called Lannister Rock. Mm-hmm. The the land the clever stole it from the Casterlies. So <laughs> it's it's a whole bunch of legal thievery and skull dug it's a very mafia when you get to the top levels it seems like might makes right <laughs> yeah pretty, pretty much across the board yeah yeah and if you're perceived to be weak someone might try and take your the things you have exactly it's why feudal forms of government got supplanted mm-hmm. uh glade from duke university says i find it disappointing that the double d's are setting up a plot in which john danny and company will end up facing off with the white walkers before facing off with cersei to me, the White Walkers feel much more like the ultimate force of evil in the universe than Cersei. The historied rivalries between the houses notwithstanding, the White Walkers have been set up for the very first scene to be the archetypal lurking threat to humanity. Additionally, even though Cersei has been almost irrevocably selfish and shitty, I'm sure there are a lot of mothers in the fandom that can sympathize with the mental state of a woman who's seen all of her children literally murdered. This is to say, Cersei's character is redeemable and cannot truly be considered evil. Knowing that Gurm is largely influenced by Lord of the Rings, would he really set up John and Danny to defeat the Sauron-esque entity and then spend the last couple of episodes chasing down Saruman? I think it's super ironic since that's literally what happened in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> is it? Sauron got defeated and then the hobbits had to go and scourge the Shire of the of, of all of the, the humans that, that Saruman set up over them. It just seems the climactic battle should be between the living and the dead. And following that up with the Stark Targaryen Lannister versus Lannister armies will be disappointing. Um, hmm. I I, I know, just I, don't agree. Yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. Like, do I want to see? Because I I think he's right in labeling you know the White Walkers the more epic threat, you know, yeah. the more existential threat. But Cersei Lannister is the more personal threat, and yeah. I, I think that could be a more satisfying conclusion to the series to finally give the person that we know so well, their justice. Yeah. Um, as opposed to this, I mean, barely identifiable force of evil. And that's the thing, is that, yes, the 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 White Walkers are the existential threat. 
Yeah. But they certainly have not been given nearly as much narrative heft and weight as the Lannisters and the Starks. No. And, you know, again, since this is all loosely based on the War of the Roses, it wasn't the... You know, the Yorks versus the the Lancasters and then some race of fell ice monsters like mm-hmm. that. This 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 ice monster thing. I don't know what to think about it because, you know, it's also not very germ like to have these guys just be these completely evil with a capital E race that you don't understand and their motivations are unclear and they just want to kill yeah. things and destroy things like that seems very Lord of the Ringsy too. So. I don't know. It's an open question whether this... I mean, like, I feel like we're proceeding as if Game of Thrones is going to be fine. And it's going to stick the landing. And I guess that's probably the the, the good money's on that. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly not a sure thing. No. Like, it could be that this season is seen as a big disappointment. Uh, and, and then it's like, you know, the question will come to, like, can George do better? Will George do better? Will any of these books ever come <laughs> out? But, yeah. I mean, to me, if two seasons ago they started adding some depth to the white walkers and there was actual some personal stakes there uh maybe it would have been more satisfying but i kind of once once i found out that like okay they're going to go north and defeat them cersei's going to backstab them and then they're apparently going to have to deal with her i i I felt as you did but then i started playing it through my mind i'm like no that feels right yeah this has always been starks versus lannisters for sure yeah and the other thing about it is um you know, we've seen some victories on the Lannister side, but I think they've been victories that could have been avoided if Danny was willing to just use her her ultimate weapon on them. Right. Um, I, I think they need to battle the big existential threat in order to thin Danny's power a little bit. Because if it right now we're just Lannisters versus Danny and John, I don't think they could. I don't think the Lannisters have a shot. Yeah. I think they're entirely at the mercy of whether or not Danny wants to blow them up. Right. Um you put you pit Danny against the existential threat, maybe reduce her numbers a little bit, maybe weaken her, and then it becomes a, an interesting fight. Yeah. That's um, the thing, like I, I kinda think that none of the dragons are gonna survive. It's possible. Yeah. I mean think about it like <laughs> It'd be interesting to see a woman who's lost all her children go up against a woman who's lost all her children. Holy shit. You just, <laughs> I think, accidentally uncovered a, co- uh, a really cool thematic element if they choose to go that way. Yeah. But I was thinking, I've been thinking, I've heard this whispers of people theorizing that none of the dragons are going to survive because I think it feels like a lot of the fan base is starting to warm up to the idea that this break the wheel speech is going to be some kind of, again, not modern fucking representative democracy, but some mm-hmm. kind of baby step towards that yeah um and how do you have a monarch that has absolute loyalty from these mythical beings that are essentially living nuclear weapons how do you have any kind of democratic transfer of power yeah um it's like trying to have a democratic transition of power in a dictatorship well the the army's personally loyal to this guy so good luck flipping those keys to the new one uh-huh. why wouldn't the second banana general just be like okay fuck that guy rolling tanks on the capital that's exactly what happens right yeah so whoever is has loyalty to the dragons will always be the de facto leader so therefore the dragons have got to die hmm. um okay. but again like you know if if this goes to where I think people thought it was going to go five, ten years ago, and someone's going to sit on the Iron Throne, and there's going to be some kind of like maybe there's still dragons, and maybe it's Danny, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I'm starting to be sympathetic to the idea that all these dragons are going to have to die. That doesn't mean I want all the dragons to die, 
Yeah. Just saying narratively, it makes a certain amount of sense. And I think we're, you know, both, both arguing pretty heavily for the scenario in which the White Walkers are, are dealt with first and then the Lannisters. I think there's an argument on the other side, but yeah, yeah, n- totally. none of us really, neither you or I really are interested in that one. Right. <laughs> so we're not going to defend it too much. Right. I mean, it should be spectacular. There should be a lot of CGI spectacle and a lot of cool battles and stuff. Personally, yeah. like you're, you're not wrong. It'd be yeah. Why does John like, want to defeat? Threat. Why does John want to defeat the Night King? Because the Night King wants to kill everyone in Westeros. Mm-hmm. Why does John want to kill Cersei? There's like fucking yeah. a dozen reasons. <laughs> right. All the Stark children have a, a boner, a justice bonus, a justice boner for the Lannisters. Yeah. So that is satisfying and interesting. And seeing these people put, you know, brought to justice, like Rob says, like, you know, you know, I've got this naive, uh, possibly naive sense of that there should be justice in the world. That like mm-hmm. I can't just take my uh, my troops home because then Joffrey gets away with being a shit. Yeah. Which that's like the other thing is like we need to talk about that. But I don't I, I don't like Talisa's absolute pacifism. Like, what kind of fucking world would it be if no one checks murderous tyrants? Yeah, I guess uh, I think she's... To me, she was, like, poking and prodding Rob to see where he stood on things. Yeah. um, To see if he was a good and just person. Yeah. Or to see if he was just out to... For vengeance. Yeah, yeah, for vengeance and power and glory. um, Mm. And she has found her answer. Okay. Uh, Tara L., I was listening to your podcast on Season 2, Episode 6, when the topic of John joining the Night's Watch came up. Theoretically, Ned was relieved because John would have been safe from Robert's wrath once he took the black because all men are pardoned for the crimes when they go to the wall. And upon taking the vows, men renounce claims to titles or lands uh, they have, so Robert would not have seen him as a threat. But I have two questions. First, would Robert have respected that immunity tradition upon hearing John was really a Targaryen? <laughs> Robert's hatred for all Targaryens seems almost obsessive, and considering his insane animosity towards Rhaegar, I wouldn't put it past him to ignore the Night's Watch pardon and get to Jon somehow. I know Aemon was left alone, but he was old and he wasn't Rhaegar's son. What do you think, Jim? I think that's possible. Yeah. I think it's possible, but I always try to, like, okay, view this through the lens of how Robert dealt with Danny. As soon as Robert found out about Danny, he wanted her dead. Yeah. Rob and and Ned said, "Over my dead body, I'm quitting the I'm quitting the handship." Mm-hmm. And then Robert fumed for a couple of days, and then's like, "You know what? Fuck this shit. I love you like a brother. Let's mm-hmm. not let this split up the broship. Be yeah, my hand." Fair. So like now, think a couple more years have passed, uh-huh. and John reveals to Robert that he's been harboring this Targaryen, and he's put he's put him on. He's you know he's had this promise that he made to his sister. I I don't know. The wild card there is Robert's insane all-in-his-head relationship he had with Lyanna. Yeah. And whether he would feel more personally betrayed that the man he thinks of as brother would shield Rhaegar's rape baby mm-hmm. from him and then steal him off into the Night's Watch beyond his protection. Like, I can see that being a rift in her friendship, but a, a king marching on the wall, yeah, taking out this kid and killing him would be like... I mean, it's one of those things where I don't... There's no precedent for it. There's yeah. precedent for a Lord Commander to, like, resist uh, the, the the rest of the realm and kind of, like, try to carve out a kingdom for himself. And then all the all the lords and kings banded together and kicked his ass, mm-hmm. tore down the walls, and that's why the Night's Watch don't have walls on the south side of the castles anymore. Uh-huh. The, the, the other one, like, that's just, like, you know... Like, again, 
if you break the laws and traditions that everything kind of works, then like this, the, the kingdom, there's, there's, there's no respect or tradition for the laws and everything goes to chaos. So there'd be yeah. a lot of social and personal pressure for Robert not to do that. Mm-hmm. Second, upon finding out his true parentage, would John still be beholden to the Night's Watch vows? Can man make that promise if he's completely unaware of his true background? Yeah. I mean, that's... That's a, a question I was I was thinking right. as you were reading the first part of this. I mean, I think there is no, like, take backsies. Right. So, and there's no, like, legal tradition where it's like, well, you entered a contract that you didn't have full knowledge of, blah, 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 but then also see my previous concept comment about might makes right. Like, if there's enough Targaryen loyalists in the realm and Robert was a bad enough king and somebody whispered, filled John's head with a bunch of crazy ideas and he had enough banners, eh, who knows what'll happen. Yeah. And I don't know where where he stands now that he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> or undead or whatever the hell he is. Right. Now that he has died. Right. Who knows? And also, it's like there's an interesting conversation like the Aemon had with John, where he reveals that he was a Targaryen and how hard it was that he sitting there at the wall and he hears that his brother and his nieces and nephews and these children were all murdered and how angry he got. And he says that like, as a frail, nearly blind old man, it tested my resolve. What if that happened through? What if Eamon had been still, you know, had good vision and he was strong. Like I kind of always think that maybe Eamon would have done a midnight ride off from the wall and (laughs) and tried to, to set some things right. If, if not. So I don't know. Uh, don't have any really clear answer, but that's what I think would happen. Anthony LD. It seems the fans of Game of Thrones tend to project the narrative arcs of certain characters, such as, will Jaime kill Cersei? Will Jon Snow ride Drogon? Uh, Etc. Will Sam write the Songs of Ice and Fire? But I don't hear much about Jorah Mormont's projection. He's Danny's oldest advisor. His unrequited love for her has been a major plot point. The writers could have just killed him off at his near death and returned to Danny's good graces were a big deal in season six. How do you think his story ends? That's a great question. Yeah, I've literally never thought about how Jorah's story ends. Well, it's like I did when he had grayscale because I was thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. what what crazy D&D remix <laughs> of George's plot is this going to be? Is this going to be some kind of Victorian thing with the right smoky right-handed doom? Like what? Hmm. But now that that's all and he's just a dude that's loyal to Danny. And Danny, she's got a lot of those now, though. <laughs> like that's the thing. Yeah, and from a book, Jorah's not special. There's still a betrayal that Johnny's, that the Danny's got, and you got to ask yourself: would uh-huh. would Jorah betray her again? Yeah. And I don't know. I saw last episode. He said never. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think that. I think that he'll die. Yeah. I think that he's going to die. And also, the other, unfortunately, I don't have any hope that he might have like a fitting death because look at Binjin. Mm-hmm. Benjen died. Benjen died just because the double D's kind of like didn't have any reason for him to be around anymore, and whatever. Yeah. Smack the horse, Benjen, and bite the <laughs> bullet. Uh, I I think he's just going to die, and he's not going to really amount to anything. Huh? Okay. Like, would Danny giving him lands and titles and some kind of fucking uh, a New Hope style throne room ceremony be fulfilling? He's going to be the guy who doesn't get the medal. 
the big <laughs> He'll hairy be the dude. Chewbacca. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's the space bear that doesn't get the medal. He's just sitting there growling in the background yep. about what bullshit this is. <laughs> He's been loyal. He's been a vital part of the crew. Right. right. Nah, you get nothing, Jorah. Right. Danny's like crowning John and giving, uh, 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 uh <laughs> what, what's, uh, shit. Who's the, the Smith, the, the bastard? Gendry? Why can't I think of anyone's name today? Gendry. I don't know. There he's getting a medal and, and Jorah the bear is getting shit on. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no time for him to develop a romance. Mm, no. Uh, there's no really like female character in his kind of age and class range that would even be a suitable match. Like I, and he's in love with Danny, and Danny and him are not getting together. And a lot of people are going to die in this war. Yeah, a lot of people. I certainly hope so. Like like half the main cast at least is going to die in this. I'd be pretty pissed if we get through it and like one or two people have died. Right. The, I don't think we that's, care about. That's I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. So I feel like that he's going to die a, a, a bloody noble death. Yeah. And that's going to be his arc. All right. Uh, Kira L. Uh, I am disappointed in how they have shown Euron in the show. In the hmm. show, he's just an unpleasant person who taunts Jamie about having two hands to fuck with Cersei. However, in the books, Euron sounds like the best character and honestly the best villain of all time. Hmm. He's incredibly charming, but far more evil. I'd pr- definitely argue he's way worse than Ramsay. And to show a sort of progression of villains in this th- series would be cool, starting with Joffrey, who was cruel but stupid and cowardly, then to Ramsay, who was cruel but went out and did things, and is all- but is also sort of stupid. And to top it, Euron, who is cruel but did not go out or did go out and fight and actually was very smart, would be a nice progression. Hmm. Um, obviously, a uh, part of me is interested in super fucked up characters. I agree that we don't need more torture porn like with Theon in season three, but they could still imply it. Another thing the Kingsmoot speech Euron gives in the books is downright one of the best speeches I've ever heard. Uh, and while he is crazy, even you get kind of swept away by Euron's charming words and getting the iron blood flowing by saying we were once conquerors. Instead, in the book or in the show, we just get him roasting Theon and boasting about his big cock, not even anywhere near the level of charm he exhibits in the books. I don't know why D&D thought to make a character who is incredibly charming to the point that you start to believe his words into just a joking person who doesn't really exhibit a lot of charisma other than appealing to the Ironborn's darker nature. Hmm. Man, I, I... The thing is, is I just don't agree. Like, as a book reader, I do not understand the charm of the Greyjoys. And, um, like, if you've listened to me for a lot of years, I really was convinced that the Greyjoys weren't going to even be a part of the plot, that they are going to be written out, and I thought that that was evidence that... They didn't really matter in the books that I thought that the Victorian Euron stuff was another kind of a Quentin uh, Martell kind of plot line or, uh, you know, a fake Aegon slash Griff kind of plot line that they're red herrings to keep us guessing about what was actually going to matter and they weren't going to matter. So that's that's my position that I genuinely hold. It's not a position. Not a position I hold to piss off the Greyjoy fans. <laughs> okay. I just, like, it's a purely subjective opinion. Like, if you think that Euron's speech, like, me, I read Euron as, like, Yara, Asha, Yara, was the actual Greyjoy leader that could lead the Iron Islands into greatness. That instead of like picking over the bones and be like she was counseling making alliances and like joining 
the rest of the seven kingdoms and actually being a real government that's taken seriously and use their strength at sea to kind of like make them come to the table. And Euron comes and essentially says, make Iron Island great again. And gets everybody, you know, and has a bunch of gold and the magic dragon or magic horn and essentially dooms the Iron Island to being a small, petty people all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, Like he's he's essentially a populist demagogue, which is the opposite of the uh, a leader that I want. Mm. So, I mean, it, it's like, that's just my opinion, but unfortunately I'm the only one on this podcast that's read the books. Yeah. So you're I don't, the one, I'm the one you have to argue with. Right. I don't know the uh, character of your in the books, but um, from what I saw on the show, I thought he was going to be there just to essentially be a foil for Jamie uh-huh. and provide a military, you know, a sea based military that, they need it at the moment. Right. It seems like now that Jamie's on the outs, that's not necessarily going to be the case, um, that he might have some greater role to play. Yeah. So at this point, I'm kind of up in the air on what, what I think of Euron. I, I didn't think he was a terrible character. I didn't think he was by any means the best character. Um, he, I thought he was essentially there to service other characters. I don't know what to think now. I mean, like I said, like I, I guess, like to the extent that I think Euron is cool, it's that he's this kind of like warlock pirate that's been to all these mysterious places, and yeah. I thought he might have a role of like you know having this magical horn that could bind dragons that might either be a foil to Danny or it might allow Danny to control her dragons, or I mean, it, you know, and to the extent that you can look at the show and see through its prism to see how the books might go, it doesn't look like that. It's like it seems like the whole. Iron Island subplot is is in in the end going to amount to a hill of beans, and you could say that same thing about Dorne. So, like, really, the really important things in the books are Lannisters, Starks, Targaryens, and White Walkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not to say that there might not be something cool that Victorian does. There's not something to say that there's like like there's this really compelling. Uh, theory that I've read about Euron trying to be a god and maybe he even switches allegiance to the White Walkers and becomes like this Locutus of Borg type character in the books. Um, I was actually kind of hoping for that this season. Maybe it'll happen next season, but I just, yeah, I don't, I don't get the Greyjoy love. So uh, I, I can't, I can't join you on your parade. Zach. Rewatching this season, it's apparent that the Theons or Tyrion's plan to use wildfire in the city's defenses is a new, brilliant secret strategy that is only that only he could have concocted and is unprecedented in Westerosi history. It seems odd to me that no one else in history would think to use this substance for militaristic purposes, and that this is really the first time it's being deployed in this fashion. Was it really invented solely for the Mad King to burn his subjects alive? Alternatively, the wild, as wildfire perhaps like napalm or certain chemical warfare substances that global powers resist using as much as possible because of how devastatingly terrible they are to people in the environment? If so, what does that say about Tyrion who's willing to use such horrible means to win a battle when others in history may have resisted the temptation? Hmm. Interesting. I guess I thought it was a pretty recent development as well. But I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I would say that I think the reason a lot of people don't use it is because it's like nitroglycerin. Mm -hmm. If you transport it to a battlefield, it's got to come in pots over on a wagon over these shitty, muddy, broken roads. And and then you got to like everything that Braun said. Yeah. Like it's one of these things. It's like it's a weapon that could wind up destroying you. And it only be like a desperation move like Eris 
Eris was going to use it as like a like a like a dead man switch in King's Landing. Like, well, if I can't have the fucking city, yeah. no one can. And like some Targaryen kings, like I said, drank it to try to make themselves into living dragons and do all kinds of weird shit. But it's just like the one of those weapons. It's just like it's it's impractical, unwieldy, and is just as likely to destroy you. So the only time you'd use it is in a siege <laughs> when you're losing. Yeah. And you've been crazy enough to make a shitload of it inside the city walls in a time of peace, so you have a significant stockpile to use it. So I, I think it's that. It's not that it's like I'm trying to think of like what is um like like what's a what's a type of weapon like a neutron bomb maybe I remember like in the 80s I read this popular mechanic saying that like neutron bombs are going to be the bottle the bomb of the future because you can just let them off in a battlefield and it kills all life forms and it's very little rate like linger radiation but like you know i've never heard of a neutron bomb like it doesn't seem like it's that that easy of a thing to do like i can't think Mm -hmm. of like chemical weapons and and um biological weapons i I think they're not used more because they're just not very effective like, if you're going to launch a canister of gas at, a tr- at troops, it'd been a lot more effective to just launch a big-ass bomb at them. Uh-huh. You know, it's a terror weapon, but terror weapons don't don't really win don't really win weapons. So, hmm. I don't know. I'm not a military historian or or expert. Um, maybe like there, it'd be interesting to research like Greek fire. Like, there's some of that stuff like you know the Archimedes used, and like you know they had these shipborne hmm. flamethrowers and whatnot. I remember the MythBusters testing that and. Mm-hmm. You know, like, were those weapons ever practical or probably not on wooden boats, I wouldn't imagine. Because, yeah, it'd be gangbusters against the enemy, but you have a wooden boot, a wooden boat shooting flame. So (laughs) not great. Uh, Simon from Brisbane, Brisbane, Australia. I was just on a flight and I rewatched the final episode of season seven. It occurred to me that the only reason the outdoor meeting of the main players happened in the Dragon Dome was for the great visual of Danny arriving on Drogon. Why would Cersei hold the meeting there instead of the throne room? Surely this is where she'd have the upper hand. Is that just a choice made by the double Ds in order to have that amazing visual? Yeah, it seemed like it to me. But, like, in-universe, by what right could Cersei demand a meeting in the Iron... Like, this, I, I, my, my thought was that this is something that was negotiated by Tyrion and Jaime to be some kind of, like, as neutral ground as you can get. Yeah. Uh, because they don't want the... But, but there's no reason that Cersei has to say yes to that. No. I mean, because they're the ones who want the meeting. She doesn't give a fuck about this meeting. So she could just say, no, meet me in the throne room. But then Danny just burns King's Landing to the ground. Does she? Well, that's, I don't, that's the thing. Does Cersei know that she would never do that? I don't know. I don't even know that Tyrion knows it. Because I think that, <laughs> like, how many weeks or months would Danny wait yeah. before... Because the siege is going to kill a bunch of people, too, as we learned in this episode. So... Mm-hmm. Like, I think the threat is, like, you either meet with them or hasten your own demise. Mm -hmm. But, I uh, like, so, I, you know, like, to me, what should have happened is they meet, like, in a field outside of King's Landing. Like, a truly neutral ground. Uh, But then Cersei probably wouldn't agree to that because she's too far exposed. So they have this. I mean, there's also the, you know, okay, it's a great visual and, and it's certainly a spot where dragons used to be but the dragons were also in large part you know destroyed there too right um so this might even be a power play from sorcery or sorcery right we're meeting on the bones of your yeah i mean this is where your dragons died yeah come come meet me here yeah like see that that's that's a very nice that's 
two really nice thematic points you've, you've uncovered organically, Jim. I, I'm super impressed. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if it's there. It's not in the text. It might be subtext, but... You know, the one thing I forgot to talk about in this, the, the top of the spoiler section is that whole, I, I missed it over my notes, the, dra- the cache of dragon la- glass that John found. Uh-huh. Um, that, the, there was a, there's a fancy horn. Yeah, yeah. And for the longest time, there was a lot of theories about that being the horn of Joramond and, like, that's going to be blown and knocked down the wall. And, yeah. I, I mean, it's unmistakably a very fancy horn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put in that cloak with the dragon glass but like that horn has been forgotten about and never mentioned again yeah does it feel to you like that was something that double d's put for safety like because that because that mm-hmm. the, like the you know um the, when the season was filmed that we didn't have even dance with dragons so they're trying to like put as many things from the books and details in case that's like you know in, in case george changed his mind or changed the way the details were going to work out or whatever so they would have you know that to show on a previously on right. up their sleeve. Yeah, I think so. It feels like that. Um, the other possibility is it's just an Easter egg for the people who read the books. Yeah, there's um, a lot of that, too. And that George said, no, the horn's not going to mean a damn thing. Right. In fact, it's a fake horn. Right. Um, so they decided to drop it, but put it in there just as a wink to the book. It's kind of like that wagon, the Silent Sisters right. wagon crossing a bridge. Like, who the fuck knows that? Except it's not important at book. all. Yeah. But, yeah, for book people, it's cool. Okay. That is all we have for this week. Um, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. If you'd like to send us feedback, uh, again, the forums, forums.baldmove.com, all the social media we talked about, check everything out at baldmove.com. <sighs> Whew, we got through uh, the, the we got two more to go, man. Yeah. Two more next, for season two. And they're, they're, next they're episode. a doozy. Hell yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen the, Bla- the Blackwater, mm-hmm. um, but I remember it being the most impressive episode of game of thrones until like technically until maybe hard home okay uh because like you know arguable, i'm not yeah. like like because like you know the red wedding obviously super awesome and impressive but not from a spectacle standpoint yeah. you know oberon's fight with the mountains super awesome and cool the purple wedding super but not like holy shit whereas you've got the wildfire explosion and mm-hmm. like hundreds of men killing each other and yeah the scale of it this yeah the scale was is the first time i think ever that game of thrones really flexed its kind of muscles in that way yeah and and did a hell of a job with it so yeah, I'm, it's a landmark episode for me i i love that episode i'm really looking forward to, to seeing it so mm-hmm. uh we'll see you back here next week for blackwater until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see ya